Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into episode 210 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, we are in the dog days of summer and fortunately there's there's always things to talk about in the world of hockey so uh as it pertains to the bruins we're really not we're only five was it five six seven weeks away from feel really feeling like the hockey season is going to start back up and in the meantime there's some there's some some things to discuss and there's some articles in the athletic and some some certain rankings by, um, from nhl teams this, this offseason with how they've done in free agency and there's some prospect rankings in the athletic and we definitely think that that can that can translate to some fun conversation for us today and, and go off of those things. So Bridget and Scott, I'm gonna throw it to you guys and ask how you're doing, and then we, we just dive into some of these conversations. I'm doing well. Uh, like you said, sort of a, a downtime in terms of you know not many moves happening. There are a couple of things on the horizon that you know just guess just for housekeeping people should be aware of, like Trent Frederick and Jeremy Simon still not signed but their arbitration hearings are scheduled for July 30th and August 1st. So coming up end of this month, if they don't agree to a deal before then. So, you know, you're now less than two weeks out from that. Um, that's obviously those two. And then Bergeron, and, and I guess to a lesser extent, Krejci, but I think we all kind of expect Krejci's done. Um, you know, those are like the outstanding orders of business left and they're pretty big ones, especially in Bergeron's case, but we don't know when that's going to get resolved. We do have a hard timeline on when Swayman and Frederick get resolved one way or the other. And that's in a couple of weeks, less than a couple of weeks. Yeah. So we are kind of just, I feel like most days I wake up and just like refresh Twitter and refresh and like refresh, if Twitter's working that day um, to just, just always like, is there news on Bergeron? Is there news on Bergeron? Because that's the biggest off-season thing that we just don't know yet. But other than that, uh, yeah, we have a few things to just discuss because uh, Scott also sent this interesting thing. We'll get to this later, but about uh, the rumors. Apparently there were rumors of potentially a Pajot for DeBrusque trade, which I, I mean, just we can talk about it, but I thought that was just weird on its premise for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, Brian, uh, if you want to get us back on the rails here, <laughs> we'll start with what, what we were going to talk about uh, to begin with, which is comparing this year's team to last year's Bruins team. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll so I'm going to put, I'm going to throw it to Scott and, and Scott, you can reference the athletic article about just kind of uh, which teams were up and down some of the better signings from free agency and whatnot and where the Bruins may land on that. But Scott sent us this article and it kind of got me thinking with the asterisk being in my opinion, which is going to happen if Bergeron comes back to this Bruins team, what if Bergeron comes back to this Bruins team and you have Bergeron, Coyle and Zaka as one, two, three up the middle, 
and the defense is more or less the same and the goaltending is more or less the same, what really are the, the, the needs that this Bruins team has compared to last year's Bruins team prior to the deadline that was already on historic pace? And, and it, I don't want to spoil it, so we'll get to it. But, Scott, if you want to kind of go into the article and some of the good offseason signings that kind of play into these roster, because the Bruins did lose some players, but they did add some players in the offseason. So I know I was telling Bridget before we started recording, a lot a lot of the sub- subtractions to this Bruins roster this year, or this offseason, it seems really daunting because we don't know about Bergeron coming back or not. And I can say till I'm blue in the face, I think he is, but I don't know that yet, right? So – but put him aside, not only did the Bruins lose Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno, they also brought back none of their trade deadline acquisitions, like Tyler Bertuzzi, Garnet Hathaway, Dimitri Orlov. And that's why it kind of seems like there's an avalanche of players that they've lost. But they didn't have Dimitri Orlov, Tyler Bertuzzi, Garnet Hathaway for the first 75% of that season where they were already on historic pace. So I'm more so looking at where the Bruins lie, where the Bruins are today versus how they were lined up a year ago today and and i think scott the article that you sent this is probably a good place to kind of start because it just talks about some of the signings they've had so far yeah so the athletics posted like a couple couple different off-season rankings type stuff um over the past week and one of them that just went up on wednesday uh basically looked at every team's off-season and rated them in terms of expected goals added and expected goals lost and this probably won't come as a surprise to a lot of people, but the Bruins are dead last. They're 32nd. Uh, by their projections, expected to lose 28 goals um, from le- basically from last season's goal differential. And, but that number is with Patrice Bergeron out for now. So as you can imagine, if he comes back, the number goes down. And I would also point out here that on one of our recent episodes, we were talking about, you know, some of the other teams and where the Bruins kind of stack up in terms of still competing for a playoff spot. Guess who is just in front of them 30th and 31st in goals lost this offseason? Toronto Maple Leafs are 30th, Florida Panthers at 31st. Uh, they both lost a lot too. And like I feel like, you know, sometimes we get so focused on the Bruins. And, and fans in general and media around here. So focus just on the Bruins. Like you don't totally pay attention to what other teams are doing. And it's like, yeah, Toronto added Tyler Bertuzzi and that was, you know, a nice steal for them. But they also, that team lost Michael Bunning, Ryan O'Reilly, Eric Gustafson, Alex Kerfa, Justin Hall, Luke Shen, Nola Chari. Like they lost all of their deadline additions too. And it's basically Bertuzzi, Max Domi, John Klingberg and Ryan Reeves in. Um, you know, Florida, same kind of thing. Like lost Anthony Duclair and Racto Gudis, two really good players. Um, we mentioned this before, but I did not understand at all the Panthers' approach when it came to defense this offseason, where it's like they just threw quantity at the at the problem instead of just going like all in on an actual top four defenseman and just signing one guy. So I definitely like see a step back for them as well. So this is what happens in a capture app league. Like most of the good teams lost a lot more than they were able to add. So yes, the the Bruins on paper looked much worse, but they also were, you know, at least regular season wise starting from a higher place and are not the only good team that 
lost impact players this offseason and had to replace them with with something less. Yeah, exactly. Like you go from the Atlantic being so high powered and, and, you know, Toronto being such a good team last year, the Bruins obviously being a historically good team, but everything has found a way to even itself out every off season when, um, you know, free agents become available, everything starts to shift and balance and it's about making the right moves after that. So um, I guess that is good news for the Bruins in terms of, playoffs and Brian if you want to tee up your thoughts about you know what the Bruins would look like if Bergeron comes back and then kind of where that where they would be this upcoming season compared to how they finished last year yeah so I mean if if Bergeron comes back to this Bruins team uh you're looking at Bergeron Coyle create um Bergeron Coyle and Zaka up the middle I mean I don't know which would be second or third between Zaka and Coyle. I think Zaka would be number two. But if Bergeron comes back, you have three very, very capable number uh, one through three centers, and you also have you know Morgan Geeky who can play center. And I just like on you're fine up the middle. On defense, Connor Clifton's gone, but Kevin Shattenkirk comes in. Your defense is more or less the same, equal to if not better than last year on paper. And again, this is all before the uh, the deadline acquisitions, right? So yes, you lost Dimitri a lot, but you didn't have most of last year, okay? And then the goaltending is the same. So up front, if Bergeron comes back, you're fine at center. You're honestly you're fi- you're you're fine in the in the in the bottom six. I mean, last year's bottom six, you had you had Trent Frederick, who at the time didn't have 17 goals to his name in a season. You had AJ Greer, who was a flyer that you took on, and. You just you kind of you kind of hope that thing. You have Nick Foligno, who was coming off of a very down season. So, yes, all these players had great seasons, but comparing and contrasting to where this Bruins team is this year to last year, in my opinion, guys, you're you're one. If Bergeron comes back, Zaka at his stage in his career, I think is a net positive over Krejci at the stage in his career. I think he's faster. I think he's entering his prime. I know you had the two of them together last year on the same roster, but Zaka wasn't playing center. Krejci was. So I don't think you're going to miss Krejci as your number two center if Zaka's your number two center at all. I really just don't. You, what, what you're missing, I think, is a top six left wing. It's the loss of Taylor Hall. And I don't know. I just feel like, again, if Bergeron comes back, but I just feel like, as I said earlier, because you've lost so many guys from the deadline and a couple of guys you had before, it seems like I'm like insurmountable, but I don't, if Bergeron comes back, I just don't think you're as far away as you were at this time last year. I just don't. And I don't know if you guys have any similar, you're, you're going to look different, right? Like JVR on this team, Lucic on this team, Morgan geeky on this team. Uh, is it Patrick Brown? Patrick Brown. Is that his name? Yeah. Yep. I mean, like he's like these, these new players, these yes, new players. Boquist now in the fold. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. For Boquist too. Yeah. And I forgot. Yeah. See, and yeah, like, this team, honestly, yes, they did lose a lot, but they've also they they also have Don's done a good job of of bringing in some replacements and with with maybe some some low risk replacements because I don't think anybody's expecting much of these players, but I think they all have pretty high ceilings if they if they were to reach their their capabilities. And uh, you never know, if somebody comes up from the minors too, like 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 a, like a Merkulov and a Lysel, and we'll get to that later. So. I don't know. I was just thinking about on the drive on the drive this morning that I just feel like if Bergeron comes back, yes, this team's going to look different up front. But as far as needs, 
compared to last year's Bruins team last August, last July, you're, 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 you're a top six left wing short in my opinion. And I don't, I don't think that's that insurmountable as, as the year goes on. And Taylor and Taylor Hall didn't even always play in the top six. Like he, like you're missing him. He plugged in on the third line a lot. Um, so more like a middle six. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's the big loss in terms of guys that the Bruins had before the deadline and obviously Krejci, but like we mentioned, it's, it's different with Krejci just because of where he's at in his career. And, um, you know, he's just a little bit older and we're not really sure where his mind is at currently, but um, yeah, you're basically, you're, you're a Taylor Hall short of where you were last year, which um, by the way, it's, it's going to be, harder to replace with somebody that's on a, you know, a lesser contract, but uh, it's not impossible to do. So if you, you've got a few versatile players that you can, you know, switch around to the left side, if you need to and see how it looks, it's not like Taylor Hall, which I, I'm not trying to insult Taylor Hall. I actually really like him as a player. Um, It's he's not somebody that's an irreplaceable type of player. So you're, you're going to be able to try some people out and, and slot them in there. And that's just because that's, you had to get rid of someone and you had to decide where it was going to hurt you least to, to shed a contract. And that seems to be what they thought was going to hurt the team less uh, than say getting rid of all Mark's contract. If they weren't liking what they were going to get in return for all Mark. So to your point, Brian, yeah, the team, especially on the back end and in net, if, the Swayman negotiations go as expected. Um, the team is not that far off from where they were last year if Bergeron comes back, but that's just such a huge if. And I know you feel like, okay, he's definitely, like you think you're pretty positive he's coming back. Um, I still don't really know, Scott. Where are you right now? I'm hoping that like, uh, I feel like it's, is it Lou? Somebody last year had it early. Like Lou might've been the Krejci. Lou Merloni had. Lou, Lou had Krejci news. Yeah. yeah. He broke that. Yeah. Maybe Ber- Bergeron. Things tend to stay really quiet with Bergeron. I think he doesn't leak things. And I think people around the team and around him have so much respect for him that like they're not going to leak it. So I keep going back and like, I keep ending up somewhere around 50% today. I I'm leaning a little more towards him coming back, but it's like 52 48. Like I I just, it's hard to get a read on it, but I guess I do kind of feel like the longer it drags on, you know, maybe there's that chance that it's similar to last year where he's leaning towards coming back and it's, you know, Hey, Don, like, take care of your business with Frederick and Swayman, get the cap set, and then, like, let's talk about what we can work out, what's left for money, you know, how we can fit me in. Like, that could be happening, but, you know, the last time we talked to Sweeney at the end of the development camp, it it still sounded like they just legitimately don't know yet. Like, there just hasn't been an answer um, or even an indication, because last year, the point was up before, but... Sweeney and Neely, when they would meet with the media, like at the draft, they were at least hinting that like they felt good and they would use words like positive discussions and, um, you know, or like positive indication. And you could tell that there was 
some underlying optimism there that where it's like they can't come out and say it, but they they have a pretty good feeling. And this year it's been much more like we're just not giving you anything. And I, I don't know if that's just a change in their approach where, you know, they're not even going to give the media fans like that little bit of positivity or if it's that they just legitimately don't know. And so they can't say one way or another. Um, but yeah, I mean, to this discussion, though, if Bergeron's back, I honestly think like you have a pretty good roster that at least gets you through and has you in playoff position come trade deadline. And then you see what you can go get. But if you're lining up Marshan Bergeron, DeBrusque on one line, Van Riemsdyk, Zaka, Pasenak on another. Yeah, Van Riemsdyk is ideally a third liner at this point in his career. That's still a really solid top six. Like with the defense and goaltending that they have behind that, you're still going to win a lot of games. And I don't think you're going to be in danger of missing the playoffs. Then your third line probably looks something like Frederick Coyle geeky, which, okay, it's not a third line that has Taylor Hall on it. Like you had last year, but I think that's still a pretty solid third line. Like I, I do think geeky can play up. I think he's a good, he could be a good third liner. We know Coyle and Frederick are good third liners. So suddenly like you, yeah, you might have to upgrade in a spot or two um, come trade deadline, but I don't think you need to like do anything right out of the gate. I think you're, if that happens, you have a roster that is absolutely capable of winning enough games to have you pretty comfortably inside the playoff pitcher. Um, obviously, if Bergeron doesn't return, there's a lot more question marks there because now, now you're not just down, you know, a top six winger who's an upgrade over Van Riemsdyk. Now you're also down a top six center and your top two centers are Zach and Coyle, who, you know, ideally would probably be your second and third centers, not first and second. And, and to the Bergeron thing, like the timing of it, how he hasn't said one way or another, the team hasn't said one way or another. One of the annoying things I've been hearing as a narrative in, you know, sports talk radio and, and just in general is like, is he dragging it out to be dramatic? Like, is this just like, is he being dramatic? It just drives me crazy because that's obviously not what's going on. He's not like trying to make people wonder for the whole summer. Um, the team would love to announce, I'm sure that he's, you know, whether or not he's coming back. Um, well, they'd like to announce that he's coming back, but uh, the whole, oh, he's being like, he's creating drama, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think that's really what's going on. Yeah, and, you know, the idea that, like, somehow he's holding up the Bruins offseason or whatever, it's like, clearly he didn't. Like, they they went out and spent and made their additions on day one of free agency. So, you know, I, I know at the time we were like, when Sweeney said at the draft that, you know, his decision isn't going to affect our offseason, we're like, how is that possible? Like, how do you plan, you know, doesn't it dramatically change your plans if Bergeron returns or he retires? But I, I kind of look at it now. I'm like, I think it more so just changes expectations because if Bergeron, if Sweeney knew Bergeron was retiring, the offseason still may have looked the same because it's, there weren't top centers available and, you know, guys that were rumored to potentially be on the trade block are still sitting put they haven't moved mark Scheid, you know other than dubois obviously which they were never going to have 
the prospects and picks to be able to pull that off like the Kings could. But Mark Shifley hasn't gotten traded. Elias Lindholm hasn't gotten traded. Like those guys are still with their team. So, you know, I maybe Sweeney might have been more aggressive on something like that. But like he still could be now. Like those guys are still, if they're available at all or ever were, like they're still there. So, um, you know, I don't know that he, like he actually would have dramatically changed what he did this offseason uh, if he had a definitive answer on Bergeron. It's, there wasn't a whole lot more to do, like, you know, because that, that top center just wasn't really there to be acquired in any remotely affordable way, at least not yet. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about the, the situation of Bergeron coming back or not coming back, and and yeah, like, if he doesn't come back, it changes things dramatically. It, it just it's it just does. But there's four reasons why I feel like I just can't shake him. And and to me, it's it's why he's coming back. And and it's it's first and foremost, I think it's I think there's a lot of like Hollywood ending type script to to his career here. If he can be a part and captain the team during their centennial season. And he would have been there for a fifth of it, which is crazy. I mean, like, it's going to be his 20th season. So I just think that I think there's a lot of validity in, in him wanting to be a part of next year, whether they were going to be projected to be the President's Trophy winners or be the last place team in the league. I think he wants to be a part of that team on the ice. I think that means a lot to him. Secondly, I think that I don't, I, I just don't think he wants, I think he knows this. Not I think. I know he knows more than anybody the situation that the Bruins are in at center if he were to to hang them up this year. And I and I don't think he wants to do that to them. And it's not that he owes them anything, but I, I do think he believes that the Bruins might only need one more year to to try to figure something out for his replacement. And it could be through free agency or a hockey trade. I, I think he believes the Bruins can can find his successor in the next year, but, but not right now. And I don't think he wants to put them in this situation in their centennial season. I do think he wants maybe to have one last trip around the sun to kind of stop and smell the roses. I think that would be maybe nice for him to do, whether he admits that or not. And I also think that there's an addiction to being a competitor um, that I, I don't know if he's ready to give that up because it's a very hard thing to give up for an athlete because when you're an athlete, it's what, it's how you identify yourself throughout your life. It's like, um, it's how you become a professional outside of the skill set. It's they've lived it their whole lives day in and day out. And I just think that you have to be, you have to know you're ready to to put, to leave that all behind. And he's still clearly a number one center in this league, like you said earlier, Scott. So, you know, those four things to me add up to him coming back at least for one more year. And I, I think you make a good point about him allowing Sweeney to maybe figure out some other uh, contracts right now with, with Frederick and Swayman and, and come back, talk to me after that, and maybe I'll just come back for a, a couple of burgers at a couple of burger vouchers at Legends after games or something like that. So, um, but 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 in all honesty, the the centennial season and not wanting to leave the Bruins high and dry at center during that season, I think, I think uh, those come. To, I can't shake those out of my mind, and I would be really surprised if he if he didn't come back for one more year. And I know we just had a child. Um, and I know that he's probably feeling it on the on the body a little bit and whatnot, but I would be surprised if he didn't come back for one more year. I'll put it to you that way. I'm not gonna 
say that I that he won't retire, but I'd be a little bit surprised. Krejci, on the other hand, I I mean, I'd be surprised if he came back. But Bergeron, I'd be surprised if he didn't come back for one more year. Yeah. By the way, if he does come back for a 20th season, he would be only the fourth Bruin in history to play 20 or more years with the team. Um, some mid-pod trivia. Can you guys oh, guess God. the other three? You said 20, 20, or 20 more years with the Bruins? Yep. Well, um, well, Bork? Yep. Um... Oh geez. Okay. Are these so, all like easily guessable, or are some of these like reaches? Um. Sure. I think no, not Eddie. Sure. I think one more you should be gettable, and one might be a little off the radar, just because of how long ago it was. Oh. Oh, uh, Milt Schmidt. No, surprisingly. Huh. I'm guessing there's a lot of them that are like right around like 18 years that <laughs> seem like it, I don't it, know, Scott. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be players. From, I mean, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, oh, this is a, not not Terry O'Reilly. No, no. This Johnny Bu- Johnny Busick. Really? Yeah. And Dick Clapper was the other one. I I wouldn't have. I, Clapper is just far beyond me. Busick surprised me. He was there for 20 years. Yeah, because he he was there for basically a decade before Bobby Orr even got to the team. So wow. he was there through through some well, I think they reached the cup final like his first two years lost, and then were just like irrelevant for eight years. And then they finally got Bobby Orr and came back. Wow. I, I that that's crazy. I want I wonder if like any of the I wonder if that would even trip up a lot of diehard Bruins fans that were alive for the, for the, for some of these players, or at least for part of their careers. Wow, interesting. Good, good yeah, because there there was so much less interest in the team like during the early and mid '60s. You know, like yeah. yeah. I mean, even even Bork, I was like trying to figure out if it was technically twenty because I know I know he played twenty one years, and there's the infamous call after twenty one years, Raymond Bork, but he won the cup with Colorado the year after being dealt at the deadline i think so i was trying to see if that was technically 20 but apparently it was so yeah bork was obvious but yeah dick clapper i mean that was what was that like the the 20s and 30s and 40s yeah 27 to 47 was his career so i'll I'll get i'll let myself off the hook there (laughs) but uh, the the, the chief one i'm i'm a little bit surprised by I, i didn't realize he played that long they actually this week just put up something on their social media the bear tracks um with music uh, I think in British Columbia, like out on the lake and and whatnot. So, or is it the ocean? Um, yeah, I don't know if they're gonna put out like a an actual like full video on the day they spent with him up there, but they did do something with him this week. Yeah, I'm je- I'm jealous of like the the Bruins video and social media team that like whoever gets to travel for some of these trips and just yeah hang out with Johnny Busick on a lake like um... and then like they. The one where they went with Swayman, like fishing yeah. up in Alaska, and yep. there's a lot of ones that look pretty cool. You know, yeah. and also, real quick, just to kind of go back to that conversation we were having, because Scott, you brought up the Maple Leafs and the, and the Panthers, and then like also in the divisions, Tampa Bay, and and maybe I'm neglecting some key uh, additions for them, but I know they lost Alex Kalorn and they lost um, Ross Colton, and, and the, like 
those are two important players for them too. I don't, again, I, I'm blanking on who may, they may have brought in to help their case, but um, yeah, they they they're 26 on this list too. So like, yeah, they're down there. Their additions, all kind of depth guys. I mean, Connor Sheary, I guess the biggest, but oh my guy Connor, Kevin DeHaan, Josh Archibald, Logan Brown, Luke Glendening. They also just lost a lot of their identity. Um, you know, Corey. In addition to Kalorn and Colton. Corey Perry, Patrick Maroon, Pierre Edward Belmar, all gone. Like those were bottom six identity type guys for them. So really? yeah, so that's gonna that's gonna be a different looking team. Where did Maroon Perry. go? Do you know? Perry, Perry went to uh who did, yeah, who did they go to? Who did Perry and Maroon? Uh, go to? Maroon went to Minnesota. Mm. Perry went to Chicago, another veteran with a uh, Hall and Felino. Hmm. And Belmar, I don't know where Belmar went. Oh, Belmar went to Seattle. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that's, yeah. To your, you put it really well. They lost a lot of identity there and, and they lost some middle six players too. So, you know, I, I, I think, I think just to kind of wrap up the this conversation, I think we're all kind of in agreement that like, again, capital letters, if Bergeron comes back, this team's still going to look much different up front because there, there were significant changes, but from a needs perspective, if, if he comes back there, there, this team isn't, isn't, from a from a need perspective that far off from what they were last year going into the last season and 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 that was now obviously I'm not expecting them to go on a historic run just because they have a similar you know what I mean but like um as far as like expectations like yes this team should be playing meaningful games in in the spring or you know approaching the playoffs at the, at maybe the bare they'll minute. go further than the first round being pissed off from what happened last year well, that's yeah, and what, what happens. I think that we've talked about that before. And what have we learned, right? Like, Scott, you made a comment earlier about how if they're having a good season, see if you can maybe upgrade at the deadline. But it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, like, do you do you upgrade at the deadline? Because, like, up, you know, upgrading your upgrading your roster on paper clearly doesn't always equate to to playoff success. So it's like maybe sometimes you just, if, you, if you're comfortable with the team's chemistry and how they're playing, just roll the dice and – Get Bertuzzi back. Yeah, maybe yeah. Get or, back. or you try to you try to find like that the one right fit, like Vegas did with Barbashev. You know where it's. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember when Vegas got Barbashev, we were like, uh, or you know, at least I was, and I think a lot of people were like, did Vegas really do enough? Like, is that really enough? Where does he even fit in? Turns out it was like the perfect addition, and they really didn't need a, anything more than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I I do kind of we mentioned it a little bit like right after the season, but you do kind of wonder if like the Bruins, it was almost just too much of a good thing where they, because of injury, like we all understand why they added as much as they did because they had injuries that they weren't really sure about. Um, but as a result, like you never ended up settling on your go-to playoff lineup because you kind of had this mix of new guys and guys, returning from injuries and you just didn't really have that time to kind of build up and, and figure it out. And, um, you know, it's, it's an easy second guess. And again, like I loved all those trades. So like, I'm not going to sit here and say any of them were mistakes, but you know, you didn't end up like not really knowing exactly what worked best for you. And had you, you know, maybe if you only had one of those guys, you probably have a much better idea in in that first round because you can default to well let's let's go with what we had all season like why you know why mess with it and they didn't 
they didn't really get to do that because they also had new guys that they had to figure out where they fit. Yeah, I mean, the defensive rotation was something that we talked about. Like, you now have an extra guy. Are you sitting Clifton? Are you sitting Grizzlick? That became kind of a mess. And then they kind of just never found the right spot for Bertuzzi um, and didn't play him where we thought he would be playing. Um, And then, I mean, Hathaway, there wasn't really a big issue with how they used Hathaway. But, um, yeah, it was was maybe added to confusion. But either way, those are all really – good moves that theoretically it was really what you would think would have made them the the best team, like the deepest team in a very long time. So um, yeah, I guess we don't need to get that far ahead of ourselves, guys. It is uh, still the middle of summer. We don't Mm -hmm. need to figure out who they're going to add at the trade deadline this year. I think, you know, inquire on Bertuzzi again, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Because uh, that, but that might help us segue into the other article that Scott sent us though, because um, the Athletic also ranked the best free agent signing contracts, um, and Bertuzzi was high up there. So, Scott, if you want to set this up. Yeah, so I don't know if they – I don't think they're actually ranking them in order. I think they just listed them off. But, yeah, Bertuzzi was on there. Obviously, you get a – you know, Toronto gets a player that good for one year, five and a half million. But also, Morgan Geeky and James Van Riemsdyk were on there. Um, Geeky, two years, two million, and – the Van Riemsdyk one year, 1 million. Actually, I think Van Riemsdyk was an honorable mention, but you know, Geeky's in, like we've talked about Geeky before. And I think we all like that signing and yeah, I guess, you know, if you're doing like either, or you'd rather have Bertuzzi than, you know, Geeky and one or two other guys or whatever. But, um, you know, Geeky has some upside and he can play center and, that was like a good risk worth taking. And, you know, if he ends up being a solid third liner or even can play center for you somewhere like two years, 2 million for that is, is going to look really good. And that's, you know, when we talk about like, could Sweeney have just waited it out on Bertuzzi and not made other moves. And it's like, I think Gigi would have been off the market pretty quickly. Like I, I think other teams definitely would have been interested in doing something like that. So you know, I think James Van Riemsdyk probably was going to have other offers. I think Kevin Shattenkirk even said like he had talked to other teams. So, you know, it's Lucic. Yes, I think you could have waited on Lucic and he, you know, would have wanted to come to Boston and left that door open for a couple days. But the other guys, like, I don't know if there's any guarantee that any of them are still there past Saturday. So, um, yeah, like all of the Bruins signings, I've liked just in terms of one one-off deals just evaluating them all individually like there is nothing in there that's an overpay or that commits you to someone for longer than you'd want to like they're all short-term deals and you know that obviously contributes to the the idea that this is a bridge year but that doesn't mean it has to be like a bridge year in terms of not being competitive and just resetting for next year it's a it's a bridge to getting to a better cap situation next year where you will be in position to be able to give someone more money, more years, more of a commitment. Whereas like that just wasn't really an option this year with what they had to do cap wise. So, um, you know, I don't know that I don't know how, like how it's going to pay off or if it will pay off. 
but all those deals individually and including geeky and van reamsdyke as um the athletic highlights like they're they're good contracts and ultimately you know with the little cap space you had um you did a pretty solid job like you know i think those are some pretty good signings and i i've said this before but like i don't at all buy this idea that you hear from some people of you know they're all washed all these 30 something guys are washed van reams like shankar Lucic. Lucic is the one i don't know how much he has left but you're putting him on a fourth line and if he can't even do that, then you easily replace him. Van Riemsdyk and Shankirk, I just I don't think they're washed. I think they're not in their primes by any means, but I think they're still pretty good players. Um, Van Riemsdyk, they're probably going to have to ask to play a little higher than you'd like. But, you know, he did score 24 goals two years ago. So if he gets back to that level, then, you know, you're you're very happy with that for $1 million. Yeah, I'm on board with that signing. That signing, I... I know you said it's an honorable mention, but I thought that was a, a, one of their better moves that they made, maybe the best move they made this offseason. Um, to get to the Bertuzzi part of it, him being on the top 10 list, I mean, I feel like for some of these guys, it's really – I mean, when you're talking about the contracts that were best, you're talking about guys that took less than maybe they were worth, right, in terms of Bertuzzi, like – that contract is a good contract for the Maple Leafs because everybody kind of thought he would get more than that. So when you look at it for, you know, you can say it has a high value like he, cause he's, he's probably a better player than what he got paid. Um, but as we've gone over before, it seems like maybe just misread the market ended up with the one year deal, even though probably he would have liked more than that. Now he's in the same situation where, He'll be on the move again in the offseason, potentially, or even at the trade deadline again, um, or at least he's set up for that to happen um, if he doesn't want to sign back with Toronto or if for whatever reason, I, I don't think Toronto would want to trade him because there'll be they'll be buyers at the deadline. But um, yeah, so he's kind of stuck in a position where now he's going to be nomadic again um, at the end of the season. Potentially, yeah, and he and he's he he kind of strikes me as the type of player who uh, he remind he, when he was with the Bruins and in particular because we got to watch him um, and, and and you guys got to talk to him and stuff. But you know, Friday Night Lights, the movie, not the TV show, the movie Billingsley. He just kind of gives me Billingsley vibes, and just just like I'm just here to kind of f shit up and do my job and get out of here, and and that's not a personality that looks like it might thrive in Toronto where they're just up his ass all the time and questioning him every two seconds. So I don't know if from a stylistic perspective, he'd like to play in that environment. Um, but if they, if he has a good year and they offer him a ton of money, maybe, but I don't think Toronto's going to be able to do that. So we'll see, which is kind of why I was surprised. I mean, you could say Boston's like that too, but Boston's nowhere near Toronto. No, no one is when it comes to, when it comes to media uh, scrutiny and whatnot. Yeah. That is, yeah, you're it, right about that. It, it it works until something goes wrong, right? Like, I think when Nazem yeah. Kadri first started up there, people loved him, and then and you know media whatever gets a couple costly suspensions, and all of a sudden everyone turns on him. Michael Bunning, same thing. Like he came in, people up there, you know, loved the way he played and agitated and got under people's skin, and then a stupid suspension, and they turn on him, and he's gone. Like, so well, not. 
not that Bert- like Bertuzzi's not the cheap shot artist that those guys are. I don't see him doing that, but like, I don't know. He could low bridge someone or like, you know, like do something like that. Or, or if he just struggles at some point, like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot for, for people up there to, to turn on you. Well, think about it. He wouldn't have been able be have been able to play in Toronto back during the pandemic. Like he yeah. wouldn't have played a single game. He couldn't have even gone there. Um, so like, and people in Canada took that stuff very seriously. So there's definitely some people up there that remember um, the situation he was in during the pandemic, not being able to travel to Canada. Um, he is a little bit of a different person. Uh, you know, he's not necessarily, uh, you know, like he he doesn't have the, like a, a, an entirely clean track record with things that they've liked or, or didn't like up there. So um, well, he's a little bit different in that way. So maybe he's not going to cheap shot people, but who knows? I, well, and I'm excited. I hope at some point someone resurfaces some of the quotes he had from when he got to the Bruins, because if you remember, like the little bit of tape he did have on a stick was American flag tape. And someone asked him about it. And he was like, because obviously he's from Canada. So it's like, you know, that's interesting, like American flag tape. And he said something along the lines of like, I consider myself more of an American now. I, I like it more here. And and I think that was in response to like, you know, some of the COVID stuff and how strict Canada was like, yeah, he was, he was very against that. It was obviously pretty outspoken at the time. So um, yeah, I'll be interested to see if, uh, if people, you know, kind of go back and dig that up and ask it, ask him about it. You know, now that now that he's in Toronto, does he still see himself as more of an American? Yeah. He didn't get criticized here really at all um, no. when he came in. So, actually, I mean, the biggest pundit for Tyler Bertuzzi was 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 you, Bridget, probably that that when he had that that uh that turnover in front of the. Oh, night. you mean the biggest, the most criticism? I'm still pissed yeah. off about that. <laughs> it's like he goes out and scores Terrible. like seven points in two games. Bridget's like, yeah, but that one turnover still pisses me off. It does. <laughs> It still does. I still see it clearly when you say it. Like I'm visualizing it, and I see it. I'm not trying to set you off again. I know it. It was a. It wasn't a egregious giveaway, but, um, yeah. I mean, look. So the yeah the 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 JVR the Shattenkirk the Geeky and the and the Brown signings, but mainly the the, the, the three prior ones like. And the Boquist. Yeah, and Boquist for seven fifty. I mean. Like Don has done a, I mean, he's gotten all these guys locked up for for essentially what you were paying Taylor Hall more or less, right? And it's like, and and, and Scott, I know you mentioned how it's you don't like to look at it like that because you have to bring these guys in regardless to fill these holes. But like, I mean, these are established names. I mean, JVR, Kevin Shattenkirk, those are NHL established veterans. Yes, they're not in their prime anymore, but you know what? Like, they're they're still very capable players. I mean, JVR I think had thirty points last year, his his career high. I think it was like 60 or 61 with Toronto one year. It's not like he's never been like a hundred point guy, right? You're asking him to be a big body in the power play. Um, and, and, and yes, yes. Maybe you're asking him to be, to play a line ahead in the lineup on the second line. But you know, when you're playing with, 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 with David Pasternak, maybe, you know, he, maybe he'll end up having a close to a career year in point production. You never know. Uh, Pavel Zaka as well. I mean, if, if, if Zaka and, and, and Pasternak can just kind of play off of each other and JVR could just be, in the right place at the right time and more or less just keep up and be a big body to create space for them down low. I mean, I think it could be fine. Honestly, it's not optimal, um, but, it, but he could be fine. Kevin Shattenkirk, you're asking him to be a, a sixth defenseman 
And you know what? He he's he's got a championship under his belt. He's 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 smart. He doesn't need to be the fastest skater in the world. He's playing defense, so he just have good gap control. And he's smart and he's got talent. Yeah, I mean Sweeney got, and, and Geeky has has a huge. I don't know. I want to say a huge ceiling, but he's got a, he's got a decent ceiling that sometimes a different environment and a different role brings that out in, in a player. And I think the same goes for for Boquist. So well, yeah, that's what I mean, happened with Zaka. And I still think Zaka. We haven't seen his ceiling, so I wouldn't be surprised if he had you know his best year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 been an interesting summer, and I think and especially if Bergeron comes back, I'm really I, I'm actually interested to see how this, how this this new group of players you know, plays out. And it's interesting because last year you hear the, it feels like every Bruins team says that I've never seen a Bruins team, a Bruins locker room with Bergeron and Marchand in it, sit there and say, and not say, yeah, we just, it's a really close room. We like to, we love playing for each other. Like every team says that and and the Bruins were no different last year. Like Felino said it all the time. Like we just really want to win for each other and we love each other. We're a family in here. Well, when you, when you turn out, when you, when you, when you take out, you know, seven players of that team, seven or eight players of that team and add in seven or eight new players, there's going to be a chemistry difference too, like in the room, like getting to know each other and stuff. So that's all we're going to see it all play out. And, but yeah, the, the individual free agency signings, I think Don did a great job to address some needs at, at, at bargain pricing. And um, considering the cap situation that they were in, I think for that alone, I think he deserves credit because he, he got the, he got, he got that job done. And we're talking about, being Bergeron, a Bergeron return away from once again putting back out a team that really should be a playoff team, and we'll see what happens. But all, and all, article. All, all of that relates to this other thing that Scott sent us too, which is that um, if Don Sweeney was looking to replace Bergeron with like another veteran center, the idea of trading for Pajot to trade DeBrusque for for Pajot, which guy, I think you're pulling this up right now. Um, but I, it, I just, I, I don't understand this move. Like if this move had been made, it would feel like an overreaction for yeah, trying so, to replace Bergeron. Yeah. So just to set this up, so this seems to just be a like Twitter rumor more than anything, but uh, because it got tweeted out by Stefan Rosner, who, covers the Islanders for NHL.com and the hockey news. All of a sudden, like people gave it some legitimacy. So here's what he tweeted. There's a rumor going around that the Isles and Bruins are in talks regarding DeBrusque Peugeot. Haven't heard a thing. Pretty sure it's speculation because if Bergeron and Krejci retire, Bruins need a center. Um, He adds commentary from the Islanders side saying, can't see the Isles moving Peugeot unless it's for an elite scorer. Um, You know, from the Bruins side, I can't see the Bruins moving DeBrusque for Peugeot because DeBrusque is just a better player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like Peugeot, by the way. Like, I really like his game. I think he's a really good third-line center, physical, penalty killer, a little bit of scoring. Um, but, I mean, DeBrusque is a bona fide top-six winger at this point, and I don't see why the Bruins would do that. Like, if you're if they are trading for a center, it's – a clear top two center. I don't Peugeot to me, him and Coyle aren't exactly the same players. Like they, they play differently, but offensively, I think they have similar ceilings. So, you know, I'm not really interested in like adding another guy who's 
really just a third line center, maybe can play up to two. Like I already have that in coil. I'm I'm fine there. You know, if, if you're getting a center, make it someone who's a clear upgrade over coil and, you know, clearly bumps him back down to the third line. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's pretty easy to dismiss this, but it's just odd. Like, I don't even know really where it came from. Um, Debrusque but it's not, yeah, it's, it's not like the Bruins are super and younger by like yeah. four or five years. Yeah. It's not like the Bruins are super deep at wing either. We just talked, we just spent 15 minutes talking about, you know, Vin Reams likes probably playing higher than he wants. He might have to look to try to add a top six winger. Well, that problem gets even worse if you trade away Jake DeBrusque and don't have a replacement. Yeah. And we're, we're not sitting here saying, Oh, you know, the team's close to where they were last year. If Bergeron comes like you're, you're talking about, yeah, you're, you're talking about a much worse situation. Cause then that means Bergeron's, if you see them make that move, that means Bergeron's not coming back. I also don't see much of a reason for them to pull the trigger on that either way, because, uh, DeBrusque is your top line right winger. Um, you're not trading him for a 30 year old center. That's not like you'd, you'd want to be fine. If you're the Bruins, if you're looking for a center, if you really want or know you're moving away from Bergeron because he's retiring, you got to go younger. You're not going a 30 year old center more than likely. And Pajot's small, um, plays a different style of game than Bergeron. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. But the funny part about it was it, the insinuation was that that deal actually was bad for the Islanders because DeBrusque wasn't good enough, which, like, what? Makes no sense to me whatsoever for either team. I mean, no. well, well, I mean, it, it, I mean, to that point, Bridget, like, yeah, the Islanders should be all over bringing in DeBrusque for Pajot. I mean, Pajot is like a he's a he's a PK specialist. He can. Yeah, he plays on the power play, I think, but more of like a bumper net front type guy. He, he's a pest. He's a pest who can, he can shut you down up the middle. Um, he, he's a, he's a, he's a shutdown centerman on a third, third, you know, second or third center on a, on a, on a really good team as a shutdown guy and can put a few goals in here and there, but he's not, makes no sense. The age thing alone, it makes no sense. I mean, yeah. Makes no sense. And- I mean, I, I get why the Bruins front office would like Peugeot because he did, you know, two years ago in the play, or I guess three years ago now, he did a damn good job checking against the Bergeron line in that series. Like, he was a huge reason the Islanders won that series. Um, but I just don't, like, that's to me just isn't the need for the Bruins. It's, a you know, a third-line shutdown center. Th- those guys are valuable, and like I said, I like Peugeot, but to me that's not what the Bruins need. Like, you need someone with offensive upside who can help your top six if Bergeron's gone. So um, that's, that's not Peugeot to me. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and DeBrusque is also, if you were to play a full season, I mean, he's entering, he's entering slash he's in his prime. Like if it wasn't for an injury last year that kept him up for a couple of months, I mean, he's, you're talking about a 35 goal score, right? Close to it maybe. Yeah. So I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I get the Bruins, if, if 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 you have no Bergeron, like you, you need center, you need a center. But come on, I mean, it's that's just not that's a, that's a very short, it's a very short short term move that doesn't even doesn't even make you better. You lose you losing how many goals in a player if you would also. Debrusque so. has the better contract too. Like Debrusque 
is getting paid less, I believe, by like a million dollars or something like that. Like DeBrusque has <laughs> a more affordable contract. So that also makes it stupid because we already know how cap strapped the Bruins are. So uh, there was another, I feel like Scott must have sent us about 55 articles. No, he, I'm just kidding. He sent us um, two, maybe three, but uh, we haven't gotten to, to another very interesting one. And I know we're getting a little bit towards the end here, but it, this one shouldn't take more than 10, 15 to discuss. But um, Scott, another athletic article talking about or ranking the top 50 prospects currently following the uh, most recent NHL draft. And surprise, surprise, Connor Bedard is number one on that list. But how far down do you have to go before you find a Bruin? You're not going to find it in the top 50. Uh, so this is Scott Wheeler from the athletic who's whether you like agree, disagree with his rankings. I, I really like Scott's work. Um, he like watches everything is just all over everything prospect wise, but he does not have any brooms in his top 50 and has a list of like, it's gotta be another uh, 25 to 30 honorable, honorable mentions. And Fabian Lysel is an honorable mention. Um, the honorable mentions aren't ranked, so I guess you could say he would have Lysel anywhere from like 50 to 75 or something like that. So um, Mason Lori, not there. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not super surprised by this. Like this seems to kind of be a common trend with like prospect and analysts and, and rankers of not viewing Lysel as like a true elite blue chip prospect but more is just like a good prospect who kind of falls like somewhere in like a whole group of guys who probably go like 40 to 100 or something um so i'm not i'm not overly surprised by it especially as we talked about around you know the time that we had that i had like sell for the on for the podcast like he wore down last season his first year as a pro. And I'm sure that, you know, kind of last impression of him is not super, super positive. Like if you're evaluating guys, right? Like generally if someone's going to move up a rankings, you look to guys who probably finished the year strong and, and left a good sort of final impression in Lysel, you got a really strong start to the year in Providence and then kind of trailed off inconsistent zero points at world juniors um, not to mention the concussion that, you know, affected his, his off season training this summer. So yeah, I'm not, not totally surprised, but I also know from reading other things, Scott Wheeler wrote in the past, like, I do think he likes Fabian Lysel. Um, you know, he was the one who had the article about how good of a skater he is and had like a quote from his, from Lysel's GM with the Vancouver giants who compared him to like Connor McDavid and Pavel Bure. Which you asked him about, Scott, when you're I, in your interview. Yeah, and he and he hadn't seen it, so um, that yeah, he was like, I, I don't know about that one, um, but yeah, you know, way to way to not put any pressure on the kid, Van, Vancouver's GM. Um, well, he didn't know about it though until you told him. True, so it's your fault. Maybe, maybe it'll maybe like maybe he will have more confidence. Maybe it'll be you know like in his head he can be like. I'm McDavid. I'm Burray. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. A little, little confidence boost. There you go, Scott. He, see, he sees Scott on the ninth floor for like the next 15 years of his career. Like when he's having a bad game, he just looks up and sees Scott doing this. Like it's like when a parent <laughs> tells him to start skating. <laughs> I'll start skating now. Oh, 
Oh, God. Yeah, no, Scott, it's, go back and listen to that uh, interview. We posted that as well uh, of Scott with Lysel, and Scott also talked to Mason Lori at Rookie Development Camp. So um, the Lysel one in particular, because we seem to talk about him more, um, definitely worth going back and listening to, especially him in his own words talking about his um, struggles with injury and fatigue. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was talking with Bridget earlier before we started recording. I just feel like I understand long season, a lot of hockey being played. Maybe he felt worn down, like he told you, Scott. And and yes, he had a concussion uh, at the end of the season, and it's 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 uh it's gone into the off season at this point and and whatnot. But you know, last last year, yeah, the the. The World Junior Tournament and having zero points in seven games for a kid who was supposed to be the best, one of the best players in the tournament, not named Connor Bedard, um, and, and one of the older players at, at that point in the tournament, uh, it was disappointing. And, Swe- and, and Sweden, Sweden's obviously supposed to be a good team, and and to not, and I was watching those games, and and he, there were times where he wasn't on the first power play unit. There were times he wasn't even an extra attacker if they pulled the goalie, and no little things like that just spoke to me. I was like, well. Why? Why is he not? Why is there? Why is their coach not putting him in these situations? Take the points aside or lack thereof. He should be in these situations objectively if he's the best player they have or should be. So that stood out to me. And well, and, and he did answer that, and he did say at that by that point in the year he was burnt out, and he was really feeling it. So like I think he almost would have preferred rest. He wanted to play in the tournament. He wanted to play for Sweden, of course. But he was talking about how he really, at that point in time, probably needed rest rather than to be playing there. Yeah, and it's not like he just wasn't good enough for that stage because we know they had another World Juniors in August, like just months months earlier. Because remember the 2021 version got postponed by a COVID outbreak up in Calgary or wherever it was. So they ended up playing that in the summer in August. And he was much better in that tournament. He had six points in seven games in that one. And then just, you know, four, four and a half months later, he has zero points. So, like, yeah, obviously something happened. And at the time, there's, like, speculation about maybe an injury or something. And it sounds like it was just fatigue, worn down, like, needed a break, which is kind of concerning on its own because it's, like, that's only end of December, beginning of January. Like, there's still a lot of season after that so um yeah. you know it's like it'd be one thing if like he got to, to march and then for ahl playoffs he was worn down right but you know hit it kind of hitting that wall and in, in december or january even with starting the season early in, in august then bruins camp and preseason whatever like that that's still a bit concerning so yeah, yeah. you have you have to hope that you know his that he is going to get stronger build up endurance all of that for this season. He talked about rest and recovery and things like that. So yeah, um, I think the good news about that is that it's not an injury and that it's fixable. And not only is it fixable, like you can work on it in the off season. You can obviously work on strength and conditioning. You can work on what makes your muscles feel better after the game, you know, what your recovery strategy can be. Um, Also diet, is something that you can change in order to help with recovery um, and, you know, cramping and different things like that, supplementing and dieting. So like those are 
interventions that you can make and it's not, that's on you, right? If you figure it out, um, what works best for you, you can make those tweaks. And obviously now that he knows that that's a big point of emphasis for him in the off season, he's said he'll be focusing on that. Um, so, you know, that in my mind, that's a good thing <laughs> uh, that it's, I view that as something that's pretty fixable, especially for someone his age and with the help that he'll be able to get with the the staff that they have around the team, um, which we've, we've touched on in the past, like their nutritionists and their, uh, their trainers and, and whatnot um, probably have a good idea of things he could change. So, Last year in Providence, he had 37 points in 54 games. As we talked about earlier, the World Juniors wasn't was wasn't was more or less a no show point production wise for him. He had the concussion. So, as it pertains to the article that Scott sent us, it makes sense why one would look at his season last year and be like, "All right, Fabian didn't jump off the page. He didn't. He wasn't a world beater." and and maybe we're going to drop him a few pegs based off of last year. Uh, I guess the question is, is last year the anomaly because he was tired with, with a lot of hockey being played because he had a concussion? Um, is last year representative for not just him, but all these players? There, I'm sure there are players that were ranked highly, and they might that might be the best hockey of their life, and they might not re- reciprocate that going forward. But I guess the question is, um, is that is that the uh, the outlier? Is that the anomaly for, for Lysel? can you bounce back? And, you know, when he was drafted, a lot of the discussion was that he may have been taken 23rd overall, but he was viewed as being one of the most talented and skilled skaters in that draft. And so at this point, a couple of years after being drafted, he turns 21 in about six months. Um, is it, it take last year aside, put it up, put on the back burner. Is it unreasonable for Bruins fans, for for the Bruins, for Fabian Lysel himself, to expect for him to, to make a push with the Bruins this year? I mean, you look at a player like Wyatt Johnson and Scott, we talked about him before too, taken in the same draft. He had 40 points for Dallas this past year. Um, do, do you, it's, it's a different league than it used to be. Do you have to be the biggest and the strongest? No. To, to, to make the NHL? No. I mean, should, should you should you gain that strength and size over time? Yes, but do you need that to break into the league anymore? Not necessarily. Look, look at David Pasternak. I mean, look 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 at all the pounds that he put on after his NHL uh, debut and his in his first season. So, to just make the NHL to be the best player, he needs to be in the NHL. Yes, he needs to add size and strength. But to make the NHL, does he need that necessarily? And I guess that's a question. I think we'll we're, we'll we'll find out, but. Is it unfair to have these expectations at this point, two years later, for a first-round draft pick with seemingly a ton of skill and potential to, I mean, make the NHL at this point or at least be close to it? He should be at this point. Yeah, it's definitely fair to say he should at least be close and pushing for a spot. You don't want him to be far off, and, and I don't think he is. Like, I think the way he played the first half of the year in Providence, you mentioned, you know, season point totals, but up until world Juniors, So like through December, up until world juniors, it was 19 points in 20 games out of the gate for him. So like, that's really good for a first year HL player at that age. And then it just tailed off. So it's like, can you get that level of play just more consistently? 
and for longer, because if you do, then you have a guy who's, who's basically there, like who's probably ready. Um, yeah. You, Wyatt Johnston, like you said, you know, 24 goals, 41 points played the full season in Dallas last year. So that's evidence that like, it's not too early. He went two picks after Lysel. So that's evidence that like, it's not too early. I would also point out as a counter argument from that 2021 draft from pick 13 through 51, other than Johnston, you have a grand total of two NHL games played from all those players taken. So it's not like Lysel yeah, is kind of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like Lysel is like behind a bunch of guys who were taken around him in that draft. It's, it's just the one, it's just Wyatt Johnston who accelerated faster than, than anyone else who went around that range. So, um, but yeah, and like you had an opening and Lysel really hasn't had a spot open. Yeah. An opening, but, and, and he took it and ran with it. I mean, he, yeah. he won a spot and, and got off to a good start and, and stuck and like, you know, he wasn't like great in the playoffs or anything, but you know, he was on a team and making an impact for a team that got to the Western conference finals. So um, yeah, I think you're getting to that point where like, I'm not going to be disappointed if Lysel has to start the year in Providence and even spend quite a bit of time there. Like, I, I think that's, I think that's fine. Cause I think there's still more he can learn and improve on at that level. But yeah, you would want to, you do want to see him make a push this camp in preseason. You want to see him get into preseason games and look like he's not out of place, um, which I think we've seen at times already. Like, I thought even last year there were a couple preseason games where he looked pretty good. And, like, then you'd see him get knocked down or, you know, run into the boards by defense when you'd be like, oh, like, okay, that's kind of a, hey, here's a learning moment, kid. Um, but yeah, like, you would, it would be discouraging if he looked like he's far away and you're like, wow, he's not even really challenging for a job. It, it feels, it feels like to me, this is the first time in about maybe six or seven years though, where there, that, that, that opportunity Bridget spoke to seems to be there for the Bruins. It, it kind of feels like for me right now, this is like the year that, but when they, when the Bruins lost to the Senators in the first round, and then that following year there was like that real youth movement, and you and and, and all of a sudden, opening night roster spots were taken by Danton Heinen and Jake DeBrusque and Anders Bjork. Like there wasn't this litany of just NHL established veterans one through twelve on that flight. Like the Bruins acknowledge we have some youth that we want to infuse into this lineup, and and I feel like that that's that should be a similar point now for Lysel. Like he, like there, there is opportunity here. I mean, there just is the, 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 especially in the bottom six, like there should be jobs to be had. And and I know they, we just talked about some of the signings this off season, but um, I don't know. I mean, Jake DeBrusque, he needed a full year in Providence and then he was kind of ready. And Dan Heinen had some time in Providence and like, it just seems like Lysel, if he was drafted last month, I wouldn't be saying this necessarily, but you know, he was a former first overall uh, first round pick couple of summers ago at this point and and while the Bruins hope to remain competitive um for sure and they have a competitive roster there's there's opportunity there so I just think that uh I don't put too much stock I the the article you sent to Scott I'm not saying that the author is wrong to have ranked him where he did based off of last year 
What I'm saying is I don't know if that's representative of, of him going forward as a prospect and a player. Um, but I definitely want to see him push. I definitely want to see that. And I, and I don't know if I need to see him in Providence for a full season to do that. Um, can, I just can think he- because of where he is with like rec- his recovery and him not being able to work out this entire, like he started the off season still recovering from the concussion. So he hadn't had like an entire off season to work on what he needs to work on. I think maybe a health wise would be the reason why you'd want to see him spend more time in Providence to start the year, obviously depending on his recovery and um, how far along he is in progressing towards having that higher stamina, like we mentioned um, could be one of the main reasons to keep him down there, but obviously huge opportunity in training camp for, or I should say in preseason for everybody trying to push into the, NHL roster, especially him with, with eyes on him. And we've talked about Merkulov before as well. So and then that's, that's not that far away either. That's in September. So we'll be starting to watch some hockey come September in what about a month and a half? A little, no, a little longer than that, but not well, too to, far away. To, to start the season. I, I, I definitely agree. I would say this though. I would say, and without seeing how things play out, it's kind of a, interesting way to look at this but i feel like if 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 he if he goes all next season without coming up to boston at some point I, something would have really had to have gone wrong in my opinion in his in his development or health wise i mean i i even if he's like leading providence and scoring and and their playoff hopes and their season rides and dies on like how he does with it's like so what like you're a farm team like if boston needs him he goes to boston like so just to all the points you guys made, like in, in Bridget in particular, getting over the health and stuff like that, to start in Providence, I, I wouldn't be disheartened by that. I wouldn't be upset with it. Like they have enough guys in NHL ready to, to start the year. But I would definitely expect him to be in, in Boston, hopefully no no later than halfway through the season. And and if and if he goes the whole season without coming up to Boston, then something something had to have gone seriously wrong. And if that's the case, then Maybe then it's time to panic just a little bit on the prospect, but but not panic because he'd still only be 21 years old. But anyway, it's a young man's game nowadays, and and I think that the opportunity is there for him. So, and he has yeah. the, the skill. And, and he's it's interesting because like he there's multiple places he could slot in. Like you know, if he can make a push, it's like in, in the scenario where Bergeron maybe doesn't return, like there's an obvious opening on the third line where you could see him with say frederick and geeky and it's like your competition for that is lauco greer lucic boquist like it's not like that's like the greatest competition so like he could beat those guys that would be a third liner i think this would be a little aggressive but like best case scenario if he really shows he's ready is like you know we talked about uh you might you know van reams like might be playing too high well one scenario that could drop him down to the third line is say Bergeron does return. Where did, where did Jim Montgomery put Lysel in preseason last year? Where did, where did he want to see him play? Yeah, he played him with Bergeron. With Bergeron and Marchand. So like best case scenario where things go really well with Lysel. I don't know. Like, is that, is that totally insane? I'm not expecting it, but that would be a pretty solid place to start. Put him with two very defensively, responsible players take 
you know, that part of the workload off. And then, like, you could line up, you know, you can move DeBrusque back to the left, go DeBrusque, Zaka, Pasternak, Van Reems, like, with Coyle, Frederick on the third line. And, like, all of a sudden, that's, like, a pretty damn good lineup. You know, again, I'm not expecting that from Lysel, but it's, I think, like, it's within the range of outcomes. Like, that's not totally impossible if he has a really good rest of the summer and comes into camp and preseason, like, you know, having taken a clear step forward. And I remember saying after last, during last summer and then during uh, preseason that I wanted to see him start in Boston just to see what it could look like. Obviously, that's not what happened. So we still haven't seen it. Um, And if Bergeron's not there, we're not going to see it the way that Montgomery had put it together last year in the the preseason. But, um, yeah, I think people do at this point want to see a few NHL games from the guy just just to kind of see how he matches up with NHL talent and and how his speed looks against NHL defensemen. All right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, honestly, guys, I think uh, – for for July nineteenth episode, I you guys got me ready for for fall here. I'm I'm ready, I'm ready to watch some preseason hockey, wow. and some, some development camps. And I still stuff got like a that. few more vacations to go on before that, so <laughs> don't Fair rush enough. me quite yet. <laughs> true, very true. Well, honest in all in all seriousness, good conversations. Um, there's a lot to look forward to. It's going to be very interesting. Very interesting to watch uh, how things play out, how the lineup shakes out with Bergeron coming back. If he doesn't come back, let's see what happens with Frederick and Swayman. Like Scott, you mentioned off the top and, and just, I don't know. There's something, there's something last year's last year's finish. Just, it was, it was just so like a lot don't of things bring that up again. Don't bring but it up. It was just, I'm just, I'm only, I'm only saying like, it's like one of those things where it's like, Oh my God, we just watched the perfect season. They, they were so good. And minus the ending, like what else is it to look forward to? For, for another regular season? Well, how about a regular season where there's just like a bunch of different types of players and now you get to watch like a just chemistry form with different players? Like that, I, the hockey nerd in me finds that interesting. Like I like watching like guys find chemistry with each other and, and different lineups and stuff like that. So I am looking forward to, to seeing how this team looks because it's, it's honestly, it's kind of a much different team than last year. Not totally different, but in, especially up front, it's going to be much different, even if Bergeron comes back. I, I didn't I didn't like anticipate this or this certainly wasn't like the plan for this podcast, but I I feel like as I'm thinking about this, like I feel like this is the first time where my mind has sort of been more focused on what's to come without like dwelling on last season. So I feel oh, like we're getting over it. Yeah. Like, acceptance. We made I, it there I, eventually. You know, that this was like this was like an episode where we were like, how are like we just gotta fill time, like what what are we going to do? And I don't know. I'm starting to feel like this ended up being, at least for me, like a pretty important podcast. Like this therapy, this could kind of be like the midsummer turning point. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Some optimism creeped in there. It, it's, weird. Scott, it's time Scott for Scott to have his hot girl summer now. Scott calls his therapist. Hey, Shannon, you know what? Cancel today's meeting. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way. I, that there, I don't. Maybe he does have a psychiatrist named Shannon. I don't know, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, not, not right. Shannon. No, <laughs> not Shannon. You're, you're, you're right, Scott. Though it's, it's. I feel the same way. It's like I, I'm. 
last year, it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, like whether the Bruins win the cup or not, one team wins a year. I'm still pissed off about how it ended last year, but um, as a hockey fan, I do enjoy watching, watching this stuff. And, I, and there have been a challenge. So there you go. did I, did I, did I freeze? For like, yeah. We almost yeah. made it, Brian. We almost that's, made it. That's did a I sign. Freeze? Did I freeze like the Bruins in the first round last year? <laughs> right. yeah. um, if that's the case, guys, any, any final thoughts for either of you? No, I'm, I'm all good. I got, got it. Everything I needed in. Yep. Bridget, you're good. All right. Good. Well, thank, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you very soon.